Today on the podcast, Hall of Fame four-time defensive player of the year, Ben Wallace on today's best defensive players, a little 2004 NBA Finals, Larry Brown changing his role uh, in that. And I'll leave a little open on the playoffs from last night, including an absolutely historic beatdown of the Golden State Warriors by the Memphis Grizzlies. Hot night in the city in Memphis. Grind City, you know the deal. And Milwaukee, did they just punch their ticket to the NBA Finals? It's coming up right now. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props player assist combos and more so download the app today and bet with FanDuel official partner of the NBA the ringer is committed to responsible gaming so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details must be 21 and older 18 plus in DC and present in select states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com this episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Welcome to game sixes, I guess, is the best way to get into this one we could have game sevens all over the place on sunday uh but we start with game five which game do we do first i think we'll do the milwaukee win first in boston uh so a couple ways of looking at this one milwaukee never quits which is true boston gave it away which i feel like is also true you know one doesn't have to insult the other uh there's a couple things that we need to get to and then we'll talk true holiday all right, because his block, his save, the whole thing, it was it was everything that I love about Drew Holiday. And the reason why I argue, you know, I just think over the course of watching and maybe this season is is the outlier. I just think Drew's a better defender than Marcus Smart. Um, and we'll get into some of the stuff that Drew said after the fact, because I'd say even some of the storytelling of the block on Marcus Smart with 11 seconds left, again, eight seconds on the shot clock, inbounded at 11, that I would go. Yeah, I don't know if I buy into that. All right. So Boston. Um, you know, these are two really good teams and pretty evenly matched uh, without Middleton. That's that's the way it feels. And almost at times, you know, it feels like, OK, Giannis is going to have that quarter. There's nothing you can do. That's going to happen almost every single game. And when you're watching it in that moment, you're like, all right, Milwaukee's better than them. And then when Boston could get Jalen going, could get Tatum going, Smart actually hit a couple big threes in these Horford games that you had in game three and four. You're like, wait, does Boston have more options? Derek White's played better. Um, and Grant Williams, you know, I think they benched him. Maybe I don't know if it's because of his offense or they don't like some of the defensive matchup stuff, even though he's done really good, uh, a great job, I think, ISOed up against um, Giannis. All right, so Boston's up 14 with under 10 minutes to go, and you're like, all right, they're going to take a lead. This is going to be tough for Milwaukee to get two in a row against them. It just is uh, without Middleton, even though we have a status update which tells us maybe maybe or maybe next series because that's what it feels like it happened last night it feels like milwaukee not only punched their ticket to the eastern conference finals they punched it to the nba finals and i'll get to that because of how how just meh i am about philly and miami uh in the aftermath of that series five games in all right so 14 point lead as we mentioned 
if we fast forward to the end, Giannis hits a three to make it 105-102 Boston. Uh, I would agree with Stan Van Gundy that every time Giannis takes a three, it's like a sigh, an exhale by the opposing team. being like, thank you for doing that. And of course, Giannis hits the biggest one. Drew had a big one. And then Giannis at the free throw line, down one, misses it. Bobby Portis gets in there. And now all of a sudden, Milwaukee is up. And the TD Garden's like, all right, how did this happen? Um, now, inbounding, 108-107 Milwaukee lead, 11.4 on the clock. Marcus gets the ball on the inbound and immediately goes baseline because he thinks he has the angle on Pat Connaughton. And Drew just instinctively is like, you know what? I'm leaving Jalen Brown. Jalen's on the high side of the play, so it's not really a passing angle. Maybe Marcus Smart is going to go for it, much like Marcus Smart went to try to do like a hero drive after the Giannis three and turned it over. Um, so now you have Smart in this position where it looks like he wanted to go immediately. He gets it blocked. Drew keeps it in bounds, saves it, and then as he's going out of bounds, throws it off of Smart. Milwaukee basketball. Game blouses. Now, I read everything and, and listened to things after the fact. Smart said the play was for Tatum, and I guess it was. Because after this happens to Smart, he waves his hands and starts pointing to other people being like, what did you guys do wrong? You guys did something wrong. Meanwhile, Smart just straight up got blocked by, by help defender and then had it thrown off you. Because anyone that's ever played basketball, when you have the ball thrown off of you after you get your shit stuffed and <laughs> it's off of you, it's the worst feeling. Because you're like, all right, Something didn't go great for me, and now I just get the ball thrown off my face, and I'm humiliated, even though it wasn't off of Smart's face. That's another level of humiliation. Anyone that's ever had it, you just stand on the baseline feeling worthless because you're like, great, and there's nothing you can do. Smart, however, started pointing at other people as if it was actually somebody else's fault that his, his shot was blocked. Now, apparently, again, like I said, the play was for Tatum, and he was supposed to release, but nobody did anything. And by the way, Tatum was in the opposite corner. So I don't know if Horford didn't set a screen for him at the right time or Tatum did something wrong or whatever. I also know Smart well enough that, like like I say all the time, we can't change our minds. I try to. I challenge myself to. But I'll admit when I saw Smart drive and turn over the layup attempt after the Giannis three, get it blocked, thrown off of him, point to someone else. And then at the end when Drew strips him, when he's trying to bring the ball up down three, which is a brilliant play again by Drew Holiday because you're thinking, I can be aggressive and get after the basketball because if we foul him, great, we foul him up three, you're taking two free throws, that's a great strategy as well. Yes, I saw the screen grabs. It looked like Tatum was open over there. But And I get back to the mind-changing part of it. I feel like Marcus Marr always will have moments where he thinks he's the best player on this team, and that was one of their biggest problems. And that's why I was so proud of him that I felt like as his team turned things around, he maybe had moved on from that. I couldn't help but have those things creep back into my head going, this is him thinking in the moment, this is his time. This is his time. Uh, there were other plays. Derek Wright brought the basketball up that worked into a Tice three, and Smart was pissed that he didn't get the ball back to him. There was another play where Jalen was kind of cooking for a bit there, was feeling himself top of the three-point line. Marcus waving his hands, waving his hands, being like, over over here, which guys will do. I mean, Grant Williams does it. Just waving his hands like a, a, a tight end down the seam against, uh, should we say, zero blitz? There we go. Football schedules. How excited are you for week four matchups? Oh, my God. Football never sleeps. Stidham traded. So, yeah, all of that smart stuff happened, and I couldn't help but be home on the couch going, yeah, all right, he had one of those games again. And now there was a lot of things that should have happened. They should have boxed out Portis. You know, Drew doesn't hit one of those shots, but it felt like that's it. It, it really does. It feels like that's it. Now, uh, if I do 
bring up some of the post-game stuff with Drew Holiday. He was talking about him having the strongest core in the NBA, that Andre Iguodala said that about him, um, and that he blocked the shot on purpose, cupping the ball with his other hand instead of the right hand to try to keep it in bounds because that's something he tries to do. I don't know if I'm buying all of that. I buy that he tries to do those things or thinks about it and the cord and the strength and all those things. Sign me up, all right? But I think that block to then go, oh, I'm also going to process to be down on the ball instead of out on the ball in that moment. And if that's really, really what he did, that's, that's nuts. All right. So there you go. Milwaukee, probably moving on. Let's talk a little Golden State Memphis. Wait, can I interject there real quick? Yes, because I actually do. I actually was watching the play over and over again, and I thought he did it on purpose. I thought he he intentionally cuffed his hand. I think he looked around, saw the scenario. I actually believe him. I, and I'm, I do not believe guys in these things. I think after the fact, it's very easy to be like, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I actually believe Drew in that saying when he says he cuffed the ball and didn't want to knock it out of bounds. Well, if he did it, I'm not saying he did. It. I'm just saying that's incredibly hard. And I've watched it so many times last night and this morning because I was trying to figure out what the thing is that Smart was pointing to that he was mad about. And it has to be Tatum not getting out of the corner. I also think that he did it because he was mad that he got a shit block. Um, maybe you're right. You're, I'm not going to say, hey, I disagree with you, Saruti, because I don't. I just would say that watching it to then go, all right, by the way, like people that wanted the ball to stay in bounds on blocks, be like, oh, Bill Russell did it. I don't think they're being honest with how hard it is or they're, you know, they've never, again, this is always kind of softball stack guy, but, you know, to block a shot and then coordinate it to then also direct the angle of where the basketball is going to go while you're challenging it and, and adding that into the, um, you know, you know I, mental I process. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Like, I think you're a lot of times, a lot of times they're blocking at the highest point. So you can't even control it. You're just getting a fingertip on it. But I do think, I, listen, I'm sure, like I said, it's easy to say after the fact. I, I watched it a couple times, and I was like, I think he did that on purpose. I'm not there with you, but he might have. So there you go. I don't want to dismiss it. Got some Memphis takes for you. Might like some, might not like many. Um, this was a blood, a blooding. That's what they used to do. Reading about that. Yellow fever, Philadelphia, late 1700s. Check it out. Just started... I don't know what was going on there with doctors. Ben Rush would just start, I don't know, being like, hey, can you throw up and do other stuff more? And then we're going to bleed you. We're going to take a pint of blood out of you. And you're like, that'll work. We don't do that much. You don't hear about that much anymore. All right. So that's what it felt like for Golden State last night. Ben Rush from Memphis just working on him again. He's from Philadelphia. But uh, <laughs> this guy. They got down 55 points. Like at 30, you're going, all right, you know, how bad is this going to get? You're like 55. Like, are they going to get this to under 40? They lost 134.95. Um, they were down. Golden State was down 77.50 at the half. Think about this, though, too. Golden State actually wasn't shooting that poorly. They were 46 and 38% overall from three in the first half. But they were negative offensive, re the negative 11 offensive rebounds. They were negative 11. In so it was 22 extra possessions for Memphis at the half. So what does this mean? Um, it means a few things. Golden State, even at their peak, turned the basketball over. Are you sure, Rosillo? Yeah, let's give you a little refreshers, a little refresher course here. 
Uh, Golden State turnover ranks 1 through 30 in the NBA, 30 teams here. This season, 29th. Last season, 28th. 2020, 19th. Hey, that was a weird season. Yeah, it was actually their best. Let's keep going. Championship run Golden State Warriors, 21st in turnovers, 27th in turnovers. 2017, 22nd. When they won 73 games, they were 25th in turnovers. In 2015, 21st in turnovers. They turned the ball over. They're also a team that is um, that can be very lazy. Uh, and I thought it was weird that Draymond was saying in Memphis, kind of like suggesting that the crowd and the whole thing was, was a bunch of front runners. Golden State, is probably one of the most front runners teams I've ever seen. Uh, they also, I don't know who has a blast losing. I'd love to know the arena that's like, you know what? When we lose, we're fucking into it though. Like we, we have a great time. Um, so I don't, I don't, I always feel like that's kind of after the fact and people are just pissed off and they say stuff, right? So Golden State used to, even when they were good, um, and we're still trying to figure this out, they were, Always a team that was a little lackadaisical. They were they were teams that kind of would would play to the opponent. Um, they would almost be so confident, which again, it's not a bad thing to be confident in basketball. And for them, they deserved it when they were rolling from 15 to 19. But you could see there'd be times to be like, are you guys really locked in? Or are you just expecting yourselves to shoot yourself into a quarter here where, where the other team can't do anything? And by the way, that's kind of what happened most of the time. Five straight NBA finals, right? But that's not what this team is. I mean, we're three years removed from them playing in really big playoff games. And I think they carry themselves a little bit like that group. So the things that you like about the experience that this group has had from the past, things that they can rely upon, which I thought we saw in game four, and it could be just playing the results. You know, team wins a close game. And if they have championship pedigree, we're like, oh, there they go. Same thing with Milwaukee. I mean, does Milwaukee win that game without a final? Like they still could have. But since they won the championship last year, we're like, oh, they won that game in Boston because they were a championship team. Maybe. Maybe it's all true. I don't know. But I think we just like to say these things. So Golden State can go back and feed off of that success. But they also remind me of a team that's like, you know, you're not like it's been three years. We don't know if this group is that good and that you carry yourselves that way at a certain time. Because to go into Memphis and get your asses kicked like that without jaw, although we could probably start talking about the jaw thing because it's happening again, 25 without him, and now a couple playoff games. Um, but I still can't get game two out of my head where he was spectacular, 47. So here's what I would expect. I think Golden State stomps him in game six. And there's part of me that wants it to happen. Because I would say as much as I love this Memphis team and I love the city, I love how they reflect like the whole thing for a long time. I've always really dug it. I thought last night was both, hey, we're up 50. Screw these guys. Whoop that trick. Steph talking. Draymond talking the whole time. Let's enjoy it. And you're supposed to. The arena's supposed to enjoy it and the whole thing. It felt a bit like the little brother deal last night. And I got to tell you, like, there's a part of me with John. It's not that he made up the reason for his injury and blamed it on Jordan Poole, went to Twitter and then deleted it and then keeps tweeting cryptic weird shit. It's none of those things. He seems to just be totally fine not playing and having a blast. But maybe that's just being younger and hanging out and getting to dress up. And then, you know, the whole place is going nuts. And you could say, oh, it's him being supportive of the thing. There were elements of last night with Memphis that I didn't love. And I kind of want to see Golden State smash him in game six. And game five will just be a moment. And it won't really mean anything other than it was just a great night in that arena because it was a historic stomping of what we're still trying to figure out. Is this a really good team? Because here's another thing that's happened. Steph is 32% in the series from three. Poole started averaging 26 points per game the first three games. He's at eight and a half the last two. 
Draymond has 24 assists and 20 turnovers. And much like we had warned, um, you know, they have gone full on Draymond, go ahead and try to score. And Clay's 29%. I went longer than I wanted to. Philly, Miami, enjoy. Uh, that's recapping that series. Phoenix, Dallas. <laughs> I think Phoenix is going faster. I think they found some stuff in the middle, almost like going up against a zone where they got a little soft behind the extended pressure of Dallas. The no campaign thing, thank God. Biombo over JaVale, I assume, is because they feel like he's better in pick-and-roll coverage. Booker was the guy throughout Game 5. And yes, I'm a little worried about Chris Paul. I thought his first, if you look at Chris Paul and anybody in their substitution, starts the game, brought nothing. Second sub in, not much there. Third time in, that beginning of the fourth quarter, I thought he was more assertive, more aggressive. He was very, very passive. And if they lose that game, it's brought up since he they won and Booker was terrific. But yeah, a little worried. Not just in the fatherly way, just observational. The playoffs are heating up, and you can make every game feel like Game 7 on FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Throughout the playoffs, all customers can place a no-sweat same-game parlay each week, and you're going to get up to $20 in free bets if you don't win. FanDuel has so many ways to play. And best of all, when you do win, you'll get paid faster than a fast break. All right, let's talk same-game parlays. There appears to be an odds boost here. Embiid, Jimmy Butler to score 50 combined points was minus 125, now plus 120. Uh, Another boost, we got this one. Devin Booker or Luka to score the first basket of the game. That's plus 250, up from 175. So let's look at some same-game parlays on top of those odds boosts. If we go Miami and Philly, a series I didn't talk about a ton in the open because I can't figure it out. Philly's favored by two in this one. You'd have to think effort-wise, you might get a little bit of effort, um, but also Embiid just beat up in this thing. And I think the MVP trophy uh, depression from Game 5 storyline was a little ridiculous. All right, so we've got made threes. Tyrese Maxey. Over under two and a half. I like the over in that one. To score 15 or more points. Bam is minus 186. Was better. Struess is plus 240. Um, And Bam over 10 and a half points. Let's see if we can do a little bit better than that. Oh, yeah. 11 and a half points. 12 and a half points. Minus 360 instead of minus 900. So let's go with Bam over 12 and a half points. New to FanDuel, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with the promo code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Once again, that's promo code Ryan. And if you already have an account, you're all set to bet. No sweat. Either way, you'll get up to $20 in free bets if your same game parlay during the playoffs doesn't win. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in select states. Refund issued with non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max free bet, $20 per week. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-800-789-7777 or visit slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com forward slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, PA, Virginia, or 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help. Michigan, one 
Hope New York or text Hope New York 467-369 New York. Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time. Said, do you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand. It's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Good time of the year to have this guy on. He's a Hall of Famer, um, but almost more impressive. Four-time Defensive Player of the Year over five-year stretch is Ben Wallace. What's up, man? Thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Do you uh do you care about the defensive player of the year award arguments as much as maybe when you were a part of it as you do now? Um, I wouldn't say as much. Um, it's it's hard to to be that involved when you're not you know participating in the game anymore. But um, you know, I do watch it, and you know, I I think it's exciting. I think it's the most exciting award award that um that the league offers. Really? Why is that? Yeah. Um, I mean, because it's, it takes a different talent. You know, um, you can't go to the gym and get better at defense. You got to be willing. And you got to have a part. And you got to have a determination to um, to work at it. So for that, I think it's the hardest award to win. I agree with the effort part of it, man. Like, I, I still to this day get so upset when I go, you know, it's it's hard to play defense the way you play defense. Okay, that takes a rare unbelievable amount of skill uh and a body type like that, we do play in right right so actually before before i get to some of my complaints about defense when did you know did somebody tell you like hey do you know how special you can be being able to guard centers and switch on on guards because once i first learned like i remember that orlando series maybe not so much with washington but i remember the orlando season where i'm like this guy's kind of crazy man like what he can do when did it dawn on you how special you were um, you know, I knew I always have had a, a athletic gift. You know, I was always a, a freakish athlete. No matter what sports you put me into, you know, I was going to excel. You know, I learned that at an early age. You know, uh, growing up in a huge family, you know, um, seven brothers, you learn to uh, you learn to work for you know everything that you that you get. So, um, you know, coming to the league, you know, uh, West Ansel spelled it out for me. It was like, you know, I got a ton of guys can go out there and score the basketball. You know, I need somebody who's capable of, you know, rebounding and playing solid defense, you know, and uh, setting good strength screens, good picks and stuff like that. So, 
he spelled it out to me. So that's what I went out there. That was my focus. And and with the game of basketball, whatever you focus on, man, you're going to get better at it. So when you went to Detroit, like, did you, what did they say when they grabbed you from Orlando? Um, when I first got to Detroit, man, it was, it was interesting, you know, um, because Grant Hill was leaving, you know, so Grant Hill was part of the trade. And, you know, for me, I was a little stunned because I didn't know what the fans, what their fan was going to expect of me. You know, I, I was hoping they didn't think I was going to come out there and play like Grant Hill, but <laughs> I get the same results <laughs> just in a different way. So when you watch, when you watch now then, like, do you have a bias? Like, who do you think is the best defensive player in the game today? Um, I don't know, man. That's kind of tough, man. You know, I, I I try not to get caught up in that who's the best or whatever. You know, I just think at um certain times, certain positions, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna have different players show up. You know, um Draymond's always solid on the defensive end. You know, um Rudy Gobert, you know, great at protecting the basket. You know, Marcus Smart can guard a little bit of everybody, you know, at every position. And um, and and I like Patrick Beverly. You know, Patrick Beverly goes out and, you know, get get guys rattled and get them out of their game. What would you do to Patrick Beverly if you tried to grab the ball out of your hands after a tra- after a turnover for inbound? <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know, man. I I <laughs> I try not to get too involved in that part of the game, you know. A lot of that stuff to me is, you know, it's funny. You know, guys out there, you know, it's, it's, it's entertaining. So, you know, I, I love to see guys out there enjoying themselves and having fun with their career. Yeah, but you didn't – I wouldn't say you were a talker out there, right? I mean, you were just more of a doer. You you weren't somebody that got caught up into that. And I don't know that many – I don't remember many guys talking to you either, so. Yeah, I didn't do a whole lot of talking. You know, for, for one, I didn't know anybody coming into the league <laughs> so, so I was sort of meeting guys as I as I played against them. So, you know, I didn't know anything about their background, where they're from, other than what school they played at. So, didn't really have a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> so I just went by my business. And you had Sheed, who did enough for you anyway. Once Sheed got there, like, what's the point? He's going to do it all for you anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, Sheed came and you know our communication level went you know went sky high. You know. Um, a guy that's you know that knows the game, you know, great athlete, you know, can play the ball, play the game, shoot the ball from any spot on the floor, and he's a great communicator. That's what I'm calling. I'm not calling him trash talk. I'm calling him a great communicator. <laughs> great communicator. Okay, all right, that's cool. Um, we were actually talking about you. You know, I was doing a pod the other day, and we were talking about great team defenses. And what I just once it dawned on me with what you had in Detroit, all those Eastern Conference Finals appearances in a row was just that I don't know that I've ever seen a team one through five that can switch. I think people talk about it with players. You know, Garnett certainly had that as a player, switching one through five. But I thought the most amazing thing is that you could switch on the perimeter and Chauncey could get caught in a switch in the post, and it didn't really mean it. the other team had an advantage. What was that like once you once it all clicked and you realized, hey, we don't have to worry about some of this stuff the way other teams do? Um, I mean, it was a great feeling, man. You know, um, I prided myself on playing defense and being able to control the game from the defensive end or the floor. And uh, to have those guys come in and, and buy into my style of play, you know, it was it was awesome for me because, um, you know, I told those guys coming in, you know, if you're giving that effort on the defensive end, you know, 
all the shots are yours on the offensive end. I press the board, offensive rebound, kick out, you know, whatever y'all need, just just bring the effort on the defensive end. And to have a team, a team buy into that type of that type of play or that style of play, you know, was amazing for me. Now, I remember interviewing Larry Brown. He becomes your head coach in 0304, the year you guys win the championship. And it was it was very early in my career to even get, you know, like to get Larry Brown. And I remember I was like, hey, you said something about Ben Wallace where you needed to get him more shots. And of course, I'm thinking like it's just a fan watching games going, wait, wait Ben isn't a scorer. Like, why do you want to get him more shots? And from the 03 season to 04, you went from six shots a game to nine shots a game. And Larry Brown, because he knows way more about basketball than I do, was like, no, 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 we need Ben to take more shots because of this, this, and this, and all these different things. I always bring this up now because it was a lesson that, you know, it sucks to set screens and rebound the entire time and defend if you're never getting to touch the ball enough. What was that for you? What did that mean for you for Larry to go, look, we know you're not an offensive you know, priority, but we're going to get you more touches. We want you touching the basketball more. What did that mean to you? Um, I think that was one of the biggest keys to the reason we wanted that we won a championship. You know, not not the fact that uh, he ran plays for me. You know that, and you know I scored the I scored the ball a, you know a couple of times, but the fact that he he made sure that everybody on the team know that that I was still part of the team even on the offensive end. So he put he put everybody on notice that you know we're going to use every guy we got you know in order to get to uh, get this championship. So I think he put the team on notice and allowed and didn't allow guys to forget about me on the offense stand up at the floor. Now, does it make you rebound? Does it make you defend tougher when you're getting more shots? Um, no, not really. You know, I, I think I, for some guys it does. Maybe not you. I think for some guys, you know, during the course of the game, they get that rhythm and they get that feeling and, they, you know, they, they go for it. Me, I walk on the floor like that when it comes to rebounding. You know, it's, it's nothing going to happen in the course of the game, but it changed the way I rebound on the basketball because that's the one thing I can do on both ends of the floor. Yeah. See, with you, you're just different. But I do think that that happens with a lot of guys. I think a lot of big guys are like, so I'm never going to shoot? I'm like, all right, maybe I'm not going to box out. Maybe I'm not going to Maybe I'm not going to do this every time and show on a screen. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that that happened quite often. <laughs> so, on every level. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching game three of the 2004 NBA Finals this morning, all right? And this speaks to what we were just talking about. Uh, you bank in a shot from the left side. You remember that? The first bucket of the game? All right. And then you run down the court. You got to get Shaq chasing you, and he's chasing you because it's early, and you actually turn it over, I think. Not you. The pass is over your head. Uh, feel free to correct me at any point if I get any of these wrong. And then you ran something where it looked like they had Shaq on Sheed and you ran, it wasn't like a Spain, I don't think, but it was something where all of a sudden Shaq was, Shaq thought he was, was showing on a screen, but really what you were doing was running that back cut behind him and he was, he was just toast at that point. Uh, <laughs> was that, was that all part of it? Like, Hey, let's, I know what the plan, you held him to 68 points. You wanted to tire him out. You beat him in five games. But can you take us through the very beginning of the game of like what you guys were kind of looking to do? Because it looked like it was about you and, and trying to challenge Shaq defensively. Yeah, I mean, to start, start every game off, you know, Larry Brown ran the first two or three plays for me, you know, and um, everybody on the team knew it. Which, well, everybody in the gym knew it, you know. But, um, but he also knew Shaq wasn't going to step off the block to guard me. And he knew I was capable of knocking down that 15-footer. 
So so that first shot, you know, everybody look at it and be like, oh, he banked it. Oh, it was luck. Like, no, nah, that was <laughs> that was my shot. And uh, you know, I, I told I told the guards, if I get two steps on, you know, throw the ball ahead, you know, because what I want him to do is is chase me all night. And I wanted to start early, you know, with those legs down early. And, you know, and and I was going to be tough nose on the defensive end, so we weren't going to give him a break. He was going to have to run, and he was going to have to bang. So that was that was my game plan. Yeah, because he was, you know, whenever people talk about Shaq today, and, yeah, I mean, physically it's different. You wouldn't have the extra guy in the block defensively. You know, if you played four out with him, he'd have even more room, and he would, he would score more points. But it would be weird to see. I think that was like a glimpse of, of just going, actually, we think we can exploit this guy a little bit defensively. In today's game, it would be it would be challenging. It would be very challenging for him. It's challenging for any really good center, and that's why I actually think about your style, and there's teams that, like, you'd be perfect. You'd be better today, I think, because of the way they play in five out and you being able to chase everybody. Like, they wouldn't be able to bring you out in high screen thinking they have an advantage. Yeah, I mean, the game is open now. The game is, um, is leaning more toward freedom of movement. And um, now it's a lot of space on the floor. You know, like you say, they got, they've got four out, you know, one in, you know, but like you say, it's more room in the paint, more room to operate. You know, um, I, I tell people that one of my defensive scheme or one of my defensive skills was I learned to play football from, you know, my my first position was, was safety. And I learned to see and control a, a football field and make plays on the football field. So in basketball, it was just, everything was just dumbed down to a smaller scale. So when you open that floor up like that, it's, it made me feel right at home. During that series, and I got to know Chauncey a little bit when he was at ESPN, we were working together. Um, I think from the outside, it was kind of like, wait, you know, because it's the Lakers, right? And I know you've talked about it a million times, but I'm always trying to get more info on it uh, because it was, you know, after that game three, Lakers score 68. Nobody does anything offensively. You're like, wait, is Detroit going to beat them? Uh, it felt like you, the entire team, like none of that was surprising. And I know teams always feel that way, like, hey, where nobody can beat us and all these different things. But there wasn't this epiphany, right? You went into it watching a film going, no, we're going to do these things to them. That, Like, tell me about the confidence going into it because it didn't really feel like it was, oh, maybe game four. Now we really can beat these guys. It wasn't like that, was it? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't really like that. You know, going into the game, you know, we was a team that had great confidence, man. We had a, we're a great group of guys. And in fact, that, that we relied on everybody is what made us so strong. You know, uh, we had guys that came off the bench, you know, that, that went on to get, you know, millions and millions of dollars contract. So we knew that with our defense and our style of play, that it was just gonna gonna take a moment of time for us to wear them down because we we watched how they played and you know they with Shaq and Kobe start sort of two man system. So with our defensive scheme, we playing everybody, you know, man up. So that's gonna eliminate Shaq and Kobe. It's gonna force the other guys to make plays. So that, that was our goal was to uh, contain Shaq and Kobe or let them do their thing and shut down everybody else. How miserable were you in Chicago? Man, I had fun in Chicago. Man, it, Chicago, I wasn't, I wasn't miserable in Chicago. You know, it was just, it was just. I found myself back in like my rookie situation, but as a veteran, 
because I was looking at a group of young of young players trying to find their way through the league. And I was watching them go through growing pains that I already had went through and was trying to, you know, coach them through it. And, and you know, so so it was more of a, I say in Detroit, Chauncey was, Chauncey was the talker. You know, I relay a message to Chauncey, you know, Chauncey, you know, talk to the team or whatever. We did it like that. But in Chicago, it was a little bit different. But I wasn't married. It was just a young team. I had to do, I had to do both. I had to do a little coaching and a little player. It just looked like at times you didn't, you didn't like it. Um, and so I think that, that is, you know, I'm, again, I wasn't hanging out with you, so I don't know if you were happy or sad the whole time. It just looked like at times you missed Detroit. You know, you're taking even less shots. Skiles doesn't vibe with everybody, I think it's fair to say. And it felt like there was just a lot of frustration for you. And maybe, and look, I don't blame you. That was a huge contract. It was awesome for you. I was happy for you because I really liked you so much as a player. But I, I just wondered if you're having moments being like, damn, I miss, I miss Detroit. I miss my guys. I mean, of course, you, you, you miss, you're always going to miss the camaraderie of the locker room when you win a, a championship with a team. You know, in uh, Chicago, I say that, that my first year in Chicago, you know, was uh, – you know, we had the team rolling. We was we was really good. We was we was playing, connecting really well. And the second year, man, we just had some guys get hurt early in the season that we couldn't bounce back from, and we lost a couple of veteran players that um that we could have used probably for a little more leadership on the team. But um, you know, and like you say, Scott Skiles a hard nosed coach. You know, I mean, he, he don't care if you're back hurting. We losing. You know, come on, let's let's figure it out. You know what I mean? And um, you know, I, I can pre I can appreciate that about it, you know, about a guy who's gonna, you know, stand his ground or whatever. But um having a young team going through them growing pains with with 12 years of NBA experience under your belt is is tough. <laughs> I always felt like when you got flipped to Cleveland, that Cleveland towards the end, like they were worried about LeBron, right? And they had reason to worry. And I've always made this point, like people would get mad at Cleveland management saying they didn't do enough around him. And I go, actually, if you look at it, like they had the Larry Hughes deal, they had the the um, Drew, Drew Gooden deal, and then they brought in Wally, and then they traded for your money. So I felt like they were actually showing LeBron, like, look, look what we're willing to invest in. Like, we're we're trying to do this. Did you get the sense that, like, how different was the Cleveland experience from, you know, post-Detroit and then Chicago where it's like, hey, we're actually competing here, but it felt a little bit like it was proving to LeBron that they would spare no dollar in taking on your contract and bringing you in to try to help you compete. Um, I mean, I don't really know what the situation between Bron and the team was, but but we were trying to win a championship in Cleveland, and um, I think we was we were definitely on pace, and for for the organization to get criticized as as they wasn't doing enough around Bron. You know, I, I don't think that's that's fair either because we we had a pretty good run. You know, the two the two seasons I was there, we 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 was there. We was we was probably one play away from from it being a LeBron James and a Kobe Bryant's finals when the when the Celtics beat us in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, right. Yeah, no. um, the 2010, well, 2009, 2009 was was the Orlando series. Uh, right. Last one before I ask you about what you're doing here. Um, when you watch all, I don't. I always feel like the competitive guys. I know the answer I'm going to get here. Tougher for you to guard, Giannis or Doncic? I mean, I don't know. Both of them be tough to guard, you know. But it it'll be tough for me to guard Luca. 
you know, um, with it with his ball handling skill. You know, um, I think I think Giannis will sort of play he'll sort of play into my favor sometimes when he attacked the paint. You know, that's that's why I made my living at. So, you know, I think so. I think it'll be tough to guard Luka with with his uh, ball handling skill. When you watch Giannis, he initiates so much contact, right? And the post play used to be just can I can I push like the physicality was allowed like in that area. And now it's like if you I always feel like if you hit the guy a second time and he goes down, it's always going to be an offensive foul. I think Giannis has 18 offensive fouls on him right now, which also I think speaks to the fact that he does it so often. How did you handle the moment of all right, if I fall down, I'll I'll more likely to get this call than than holding my ground. I know it's not something you like doing, but do you remember one in particular where you're like, ah, screw it, I'm just gonna fall down here? Um, I mean, you set yourself up, man. You take you take charges. You know, that's part of the game. You know, that's what we call sacrifice your body. That's that's part of that work with attitude. You know, not afraid to step in. Now you see a guy out of control, you step in there and take the charge. You gotta get your body up. And um, and and most of the time. You know, uh, in the game of basketball, if you don't hit the floor, you mo- you you're probably not likely to get to get the charge. Which technically, you probably could take the charge by st- standing up and still take the charge. But <laughs> if you don't hit the ground, you usually don't get the call. So you got really sacrifice. Was there someone that you knew, like who gave you actually the most trouble as a as defensive player of the year? Was there one guy like this guy's tougher for me to figure out? Um, my style to play. Yeah. I mean, it's more of a size style thing too than it is this guy's the best player. But was there somebody that you felt like, you know what, as good as I am, this guy it's a little harder for me? I mean, it was it was a couple of bigs, you know. Um, I, I wouldn't say I couldn't figure them out, you know. They was just that talented that you know. Sometimes when you you throw your best defense at them, you know, they still able to, you know, score the basketball. But um, you know, I go into the game, I go into the game with a with a study of. Of, of everybody game, every player, not just big, but every player. And the one player that was, I think, the hardest for me to figure out with his style of play, and I would have liked to see him play more, but he ended up getting hurt early in his career, was Brandy, uh, Brandon Roy. He was just always made the right read? Man, he was, it was just something about his game. He, he was he was always out of control. You know, he 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 changed the pace. You know, he goes yeah. slow, back fast. You know, had the mid range. You know, can shoot it from deep, and and will dunk on you. So, so his game was a little tough for me to figure out. Man, he had a couple of years there where he was nice. I mean, he oh, was yeah. he was lighting it up, and it's such a great answer. God, Ben, I hadn't even thought of that because you're right. He come off that screen, and you would be like, some guys just go. They're very predictable. He'd right. stop. You know what I mean? He'd he'd mix it up. He'd mix up those gears on you. And I'm just right. I'm just thinking about it in my head right now. Going, what a great answer. That's that's a tough it's a tough thing to switch on to if the guy does he's unpredictable all the time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, then here's the better answer. Give me the guy that you just knew, like Rashid and Chauncey and those guys. I'd be like, this guy hates playing against you, Ben. Like he just he's already <laughs> this game's over before we even dipped it. <laughs> who Man, who? I, I think that was a little bit of everybody. You know, I <laughs> I had a couple of guys just come out and tell me. I won't. I won't call no names. But, come on, you can't uh, give us one. You can't give us one name. <laughs> no, nah, I mean I had a couple of guys was like, "Oh shit, I got to work for everything tonight, huh?" So I'm like, "Like hell yeah, you got to work." <laughs> uh-huh. you, what about Dwight? Was Dwight excited when he got to play against you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I think I think early in, the, in his career, you know, um, 
anytime he played against me and she, you know, you could see him bring a little extra juice. And um and and me and she loved it. We 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 expected it. We we love to see guys come out there and take that challenge, knowing that by the end of the game we're we're well down have our way. I see we're in that hoodie undrafted. I know you're working uh with a cannabis company now. So tell us a little bit more about what you got going on. Oh uh, yeah, I teamed up with this um cannabis company um called Rare. You know, uh R A I R. And um and we do my own cannabis strand called Undrafted. And, you know, we um we toured around to a couple of couple of our dispensaries. We'd have been to Muskegon, Kalamazoo, and we got a couple more appearances you know, coming up this this weekend or whatever. And um we're just trying to get it out there and let people know that um, you know, this this cannabis thing, you know, is something that we, we should take a closer look at to try to um try to help with some of our aches and pains. And that's undrafted and you can just look that up as far as, you know, finding out the info information on that. Yeah. Website is um is at BW undrafted. And, you know, you can find out a lot more information through that. This is a lot of fun. And uh, especially in a year where the Defensive Player of the Year was a debated topic. I uh, appreciate your insight on it, man. So thank you. Yep, thank you. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla Podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's French fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a French fry from McDonald's unless you're eating my French fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari. 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice, life advice, rr at gmail.com. Uh, a couple things that we'll get to, but I feel like I haven't talked to the guys in a while, even though we all talked just on Tuesday. Some Nikki Glazer post, <laughs> post game. <laughs> I don't know if I want to touch that one. We had a lot of tweets about it. Um, a lot of very specific tweets about, you know, both of you potentially being single, what's going on with there were good vibes there. So, yeah, uh, listen, it was just, it was out in the ether. I didn't say it, but the internet's talking. The internet is talking, Kyle. It felt really smooth. If I'm just watching you two kids get together like that, I thought I thought it was really nice. I didn't have to talk much. Yeah, I noticed. So that was good. <laughs> no, a lot of guys asking if we vibe, but there's you definitely vibed. I mean, I think she. You know, here's the thing: is she really liked that email joke? Th so the Nate Bargatze. That was also going to say <laughs> the Nate Bargatze thing. Like, were there a couple pity laughs? He even should have told you that. Like, mm, it's not that great. She genuinely laughed at a couple things you said, a couple jokes you made. And she's like, oh, that's actually really funny. Yeah. And sometimes the, it, it felt genuine. I could be wrong. Like maybe she was just doing that because she wanted to be nice, but it actually kind of felt genuine. So maybe it worked out more than the Nate one did. It definitely went better than the Nate one. Because I thought I would be like, 
Nate would go, oh, we should have him on my podcast. But I've watched Nate's podcast a few times, and he just kind of bullies the other two guys the whole time. And I was like, oh, wait, is Nate like one of those funny guys? And he is really like Bergazzi's probably one of my favorite guys going right now. But I'd be like, after the podcast, I'm not sure. Like, he's just sort of like, hey, you're stupid. And no, hey, you're stupid. And then it's just and then Nate gets some zingers in there. But God, Nate's so funny. I can't really get mad at him for being a bully. But he feels a little bullyish, which is totally opposite of early Nate, where, you know, he had the puka shell going. Right. So, although in the 80s, guys that wore the puka shell, those were kind of like badass dudes. Were the Believe guys that wore the puka shells in the early 2000s not badass dudes? Like, do you I have think a that's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, scholars have argued this for years, but uh, yeah, because I had a couple other things. I had some lines to even throw in there, and I didn't even get to them because. Uh, she, no, was, she was on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. She just was going for it. But no, she's dating somebody, guys. So I appreciate people, people checking in. Well, I was confused because she was she told the person she was dating that she was going to date on the show. Correct. I was like, oh, whoa, that's a it's kind of interesting. No, I can't quite figure it out. I think we'll she see how that like, goes. Yeah, I think, you know what? It's OK. I was all right. But I do appreciate a lot of people checking in. Yeah. People people wanted to. But I feel like we haven't talked anything else going on. Anybody have a kid or get married again or anything? It's been, it feels like it's been forever. Uh, miss, missed you guys. No, no. The, I, I got a tractor. Um, really? Like a free tractor. Yeah. Start mowing the lawn, doing some yard free work. Free tractor? So, yeah. Yeah, free tractor. I would never. So probably not, one, a, but, yeah. not a great turn radius then on it, probably. Dad came over, changed the, changed the oil. No, it's, it doesn't have power steering, so it's kind of a pain Ooh, in the ass. wow. <laughs> uh, I think it's like a 2003, so not the newest model, but it beats, uh, it beats the, the push mower. So we're, we're testing it out. We're seeing, you know. Just trying to embarrass them, you know, trying to show up the neighbors and be like, look at this guy riding around my yard. But more stories later. That's fun. That's a fun toy. We had an incredible amount of Dick Harder follow-up stories. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect this. Uh, if you missed that episode, um, I don't think I was, I think I was just talking about it last week. Uh, the Dick Harder philosophy of defensive basketball where the refs can't call everything. And the reason I brought it up is that we've had some fouls I think we've broken two records for the season of first quarter fouls called. Uh, and as I prep for the draft, I may have a whole new category where I just start saying, how how good is this guy at falling down? Jalen Brunson in game five flopped so hard with fake face contact that he convinced himself that he was actually assaulted and then got the team to review something. And then a review, no one ever touched his face. No one ever touched his face. So I'm... I almost lost it the other night, but I don't want to be that guy, but I, I'm going to be that guy at some point. The league has to stop letting guys, like it just, if guys want to fall down, let them fall down. If you want to fall down around a screen, okay. And the other team has a two-on-one because you're on the ground. Even if the screen was kind of illegal, it's there's so much towards the offense right now. I think you're just going to let guys fall down. Oh, you fell down during a box out? I didn't really see the push, but you're on the ground. I'm not calling it. Oh, you got in front of a big who decided to set up on the elbow off a miss in transition, but not a full fast break. They're setting up their half court and you just stood in front of them and got run over because it happened. Um, I think it happened in Dallas Phoenix. It usually happens. It doesn't happen. It doesn't get called on time, but there's, there's just so much falling down uh, that I think it's almost if you're a college guy, you're like, hey, 6'6", can't shoot, moves all right, but falls down, great. So good at falling down. 
Suri, seems like you want to jump in here. No, I, I, it's off of the point you made before about the Jalen Brunson thing where he gets hit in the face but doesn't actually get hit in the face, and then he immediately goes for the, like, review it, he review it. He didn't and get hit in the face and held his face for five minutes. I think we should implement some sort of, like, NHL penalty box for that situation. Like, if you're wrong, you get put in timeout for two minutes because it's just absurd. Like, every time, like, a foul is the right way, they do the, they do the hand signal thing, and then the, co- the coaches, they talk to the coach, and... They talk to their staff and obviously they, they have video of it. So you don't need to do that. Like they're going to tell you if it's, you know, you're going to know if it's, if it's, it's a competitive part of it though. It is, but it's, I'm sorry, I jumped you, but there is the competitive nature of any, any guy like at this level where something doesn't work out and you're like, oh, I mean, it's the same thing as the out of bounds. Like yeah. guys strip somebody else and then you're just like, hey, it's the other way. And you're like, there's no way that was, I can't even believe you did this, but you just, you know, big reason why these guys are even out there running around is that. They're just never off. They're always on. But I love the I love there being some like Pat Beverly on the opening tip. If it went out of bounds, he would turn back to Finch and be like, let's review <laughs> yeah. it. And we're like, we're four <laughs> seconds into the fucking game, Pat. We're four seconds in. Don't don't, don't know that we want to burn it right now, bud. Did I'm you see Marcus there. Marcus Smart after the the like the game ceiling steal from Drew? Like he flailed backwards and he like threw his hands up in the air. And it was, I mean, I, I understand like why you're trying to sell the call. It was just, there was a still shot going around on Twitter. I was dying last night looking at the picture. Yeah, it wasn't close. I mean, it was clean. Wasn't even close. It was totally clean. It was a great play by Drew. It was a great risk. We already went over that in the open. I don't blame Smart for trying to figure out some way, but you know, you get your shit taken from you all right so um anyway that was a lot of stuff there before we get to this dick harder story the <laughs> other thing on the dick harder deal is uh <laughs> apparently dick enright was the head coach of the football team at oregon when dick harder was the head coach of the basketball team and there were t-shirts during the 70s apparently that said if you want to get your dick Enright, you got to get your dick harder oh man yeah yeah so back to back we're risque nikki glazer and we're making dick jokes here on the pod. Who knows Who knows what's going to happen next what's Tuesday? Next? <laughs> yeah. Somebody also pointed out Dick Pound was a good one. Uh, yeah. The, uh, Champer, lawyers, yeah, something like that. Yeah, he was. he's like the drug guy for, the, or was, for the Olympics. Not Taper, yeah. but sort of, you know, oversaw things. The drug I don't know sheriff. if it's USADA. Yeah, yeah, Dick Pound. What's up? Okay, all right, so let's tell another Dick Harder story from our guy Tyler, 6'3", 180. Um, and the reason I wanted to read this one too, Kyle, is that he said he grew up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont and spends his summers at Lake Willoughby in Westmore, Vermont. I too have spent time during the summer at Lake Willoughby, uh, very deep lake, deep lake used to hike the mountain and canoe. And that's, uh, talking Vermont. All right. So anyway, each summer between the ages of 10 and 18, I would attend a summer basketball camp run by the local basketball coaches. Harder was friends with two of the retired coaches who ran the camp and he would always come by for a few hours one day during the weekend, uh, the week long camp. He would run a defensive clinic during his time at the camp. It was never anything too complex, usually the importance of help defense and showing how each defender would be positioned while the ball rotated around to each player on offense. Ban you, uh, ball you man, right? A big talking point for him. All right. By the way, still holds up today. It was awesome, although looking back, I know I did not appreciate how cool it was to have a top-level NBA assistant visit our tiny basketball camp in northern Vermont. It is actually amazing that this is where Dick Carter found uh, an escape, I guess you would say. All right, so why are you reading this email? Here's why. 
One of my last years attending the camp, Harder told us a story about coaching the 98 All-Star game. He was on first staff with the Pacers. He told us the winning staff would get a bonus. He goes, I can't remember the amount, maybe $10,000 if their team won. Apparently, Harder's wife had already spent the money. <laughs> Again, I can't remember exactly what, either new carpets or window drapes. At halftime, the East was only up nine and Harder was stressed. He said he went over to Michael Jordan and told and told Jordan that he needed the bonus money from the win since his wife already spent the cash. The East ended up winning by 20, and MJ was MVP in the tunnel after the game. Harder said MJ came up to him and said, was that good enough for you, Dick? And of course it was. Harder was the best. (laughs) All right. I may just do this one, because we get this one all the time, and there were some things from this email that made me just sort of want to go and i i want everybody kind of to be involved so we might just do this because i could do a whole thing on this but starting a podcast Mm. is the uh email title (laughs) and you can hear Mm. kyle and steve their excitement about this the end all right here we go 25 years old 510 190 former college athlete passes prime at this point but still in decent shape why would you submit to the idea that you're past your prime physically at 25 years old i haven't I still think there's some peak coming. Just something to think about. And that's for everybody listening right now, not just this guy. Here's why I'm writing in. My friends and I recently started a podcast together, not looking for free pub or anything, just real advice. There are five of us, which is a real challenge. No shit. Yeah. Wow. Kyle, keep down. Read too many. Keep track of of all your notes. And then Saruti is like the hybrid producer behind the scenes on air guy, maybe better equipped for this than I am. Um. We all grew up together. We have a great rapport. I think it's translated really well to the podcast. I also think hope it makes us different enough to catch on. My instincts are no. People aren't going to go, wait, there's five guys. I'm in. (laughs) This is different. It's five of them. All right. And by the way, I'm going to sound a little harsh here at times. You're going to need to hear this because there's other people that just either don't know and are giving you bad advice or they just love you so much they give you bad advice or they love you so much they give you bad advice and tell you not to do it anymore. I'm just going to be a little bit more authentic with it here. Uh, our podcast is sports with some humor and gambling. No way. We talked about... Yep. <laughs> God, God, might be meaner than I am. <laughs> we talked more. about starting the pod for over a year, strategize and practice a few times before publishing our first episode. So far, our greatest challenges have been developing a rhythm within the group that allows for witty banner humor and still lets people get their full takes off. Finding an editing software that's easy, semi-affordable, and has all the features we need uh, one of our five is essentially a producer who sometimes chimes in while the other four of us do the majority of the talking. He's started um, having some problems with the editing. Okay. You got anything on that? You want to just answer that one now? I don't know the answer to that one at all. I mean, you know, Kyle, we use Pro Tools. It's probably a little complicated for the for the beginner. Yeah, uh, but I think if you I, tinker, I think, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. You could teach yourself how to do anything on YouTube. That's how I taught myself how to use Photoshop. So like, I don't know, pick a pick an edit. I mean, pick Adobe Audition, Pro Tools, whatever, and just teach yourself if you really want to get good at it. Yeah. And I felt like he would have led with, we've got to, we've, like, I think nobody's going to notice if uh, <laughs> it doesn't come out so great because I think he would have led with, uh, we're getting some traction now, but we haven't heard that yet. <laughs> so I think it'd be okay to, for the next couple of weeks, to just mess around with different things. And it's okay if it doesn't work out well because I think it's probably just uh, you guys listening anyway. Okay. Right all right. So, all right. So, Pro Tools. YouTube videos, learn how to do Tinker, it. That yeah. is, that's a, how much, what's that like 500 bucks for Pro Tools? I think it's like seven. 
if you want more plugins, it's going to get a little more expensive, but it's like a one-time deal. You could pay uh, by the month, but it's annoying. There are cheaper programs that'll do a decent enough job. Logic's fine. All right. More importantly, growing our audience. We have social media accounts and do the breakout videos, teases, et cetera, using the most efficient equipment that maximizes our sound. Um, We're balling on a budget right now, but we're definitely putting real time and effort into making this sound good. We have a bunch of fun together once a week to record. We're uh, one episode a week for now, about one, one and a half hours an episode. Haven't worried about monetizing yet because we're still figuring out. That's good that you're not worried about monetizing it yet. (laughs) That's great. Uh, We're still trying to figure out our brand and just trying to make it sound good. To be honest, we wanted to monetize down the road if we think we're going to. No, to be totally honest, that's why you're doing this because you think, hey, I can fucking do it. I watch games. We're funny. We all like talking. Let's do this and have it be a career. That's what you really want to say, but you're apprehensive to say it in the email, which is totally fine, by the way. I'm going to be harsh and I'm going to be nice in this. And it's not specific to our guy that's emailing here because it's just a kind of covers everything for everybody. Um, but for now, we're just doing it. Literally, any advice you have, some of the challenges, monetizing, anything else would be greatly appreciated. Multiple members of the team listen to the pod regularly and look at yours as a model of success. Okay, yeah, I'm older now. And when I when I hear this, and I don't want to take this personally here, but I, I think there's a generational thing because the jobs are so different now, right? I've always talked about the line being longer and thinner. When I started, the line is shorter but wider today because of the path to being on. You can buy a computer program, a couple of microphones, and you and your buddy can be on the air by the end of the day today. When I started, you had to have somebody say, I want to hear you talk on our air through a microphone and have people listen to it as you represent us. And for me, I got my start because they tricked me into a sales job um, and then put me on the air doing baseball. And again, I wasn't very good at it because I'd never done play-by-play, but I still... To get through, as frustrating as that was, trying to figure out, like, if I want to be on the air, how the hell am I going to get that first part of it? And it was such a roadblock to even, you know, there's plenty of people that probably wished had they gotten that one chance 20 years ago that their life would have been different. They could never get on the air. And now they're not doing it. Maybe there's resent or whatever. Like, if I just gotten that break, you know, maybe their careers were different. I think if you're older and you're me and then you look back to like what's going on now and it's like you're on the air by the end of the day and then you're kind of like, where's my check? That my generation's always going to have a problem with that. But the funny thing too is like, this is not like elitist thing. Like I have famous friends who don't podcast that see what everybody's getting paid and then go, where, where can I start my podcast? I'm like, okay, but have you ever hosted anything before? Remember, I'm not just some guy that like, I don't know. It's not like my social media is insane, but I wasn't just some guy that were like, hey, that guy's interesting. Let's give him a podcast. I was hosting shows every day from 2003 until 2017. Every day, hosting radio shows, 2003 to 2017. So whatever your hours are of learning how to do this, that's part of it. And I think because the access to being on the air, there isn't that roadblock that so many people my age had that I don't want to, I don't know, maybe I'll just say it. it doesn't feel like it's as appreciated as much. It's just kind of like, hey, I'm on the air. Me and my buddies are doing a podcast. We're doing it six months. Like, where are our checks? And it doesn't work that way is my point. So first of all, you got to figure out what it is about your podcast and everybody else is listening. Why is anyone going to listen to this? Why is anyone going to listen to what you're doing? You know, when I have to write a script, the first thing I have to ask myself is like, why would anyone watch this? What is interesting about it? What's different about it? Describe it in a sentence. What is the story that you're trying to tell? And if I can't do those things, I don't write that script. And on the other side, like if I had no agent, no contacts, hadn't been in the air for 20 years, I don't write a script and go, hey, who wants to buy this? 
because no one wants to buy it because nobody knows who I am and nobody cares what I have to say. And I'm not saying that to be harsh. I'm saying it to tell you the truth because I think the podcasting thing has fucked up a lot of people. And I'm not talking about just people that are getting started that are younger. I'm talking about, again, the famous people that I know that are like, wait, who got that check? How much did this person get paid? I'm famous. I should have a podcast. And then guess what happens? They do it for three months and they're like, this is fucking way harder than I thought it would be. I have to have a point. I have to have like a segment. I I can't just bullshit because I thought it'd be hilarious. Like think about all the times too, and this relates to writing, where where you work, you go, oh my God, this place should be a TV show. This place is a TV show. Oh my God. We got that guy. He's over there. And then that guy does that. Oh, this would be, oh my God. We should, we got this is a show. This is a show. Everybody thinks that. Everybody thinks that. Okay, fine. Write it. But what's the point of the show? Is there a point? It's the same thing with podcasting. You're hanging out with your buddies. One guy's really funny. One guy loves gambling. One guy's always getting into trouble. One guy's got a bad <laughs> relationship. You're like, hey, this is a podcast. We're all hilarious. We're all best friends. We all like each other. And then you do it and you go, okay, but why now because of that line that I talked about that was so wide now? You're competing with so many people that buy a microphone and a program and go, I'm going to do this. And by the way, there's the positive part. I love this. I can also think it screws people up because there's there's an entitlement, but I also love that it's even a possibility that you can be this breakout person. You can be somebody that comes from, from almost no support and finds a lane and builds your own thing. It usually doesn't happen, though, by itself. You usually need your platform. Bill needed ESPN. I needed ESPN. Part of my take needed Barstool. Um, you know, Levitard needed ESPN. Colin needed ESPN, needs Fox. So all of us kind of needed somebody. So just to organically start it out of nowhere with no attachment to anything, not impossible, but is pretty much impossible. So I would tell anyone when you're starting this, if the only reason you did it is because you were like, I want this as a career and I want to make money, your patience, you might have to be looking at like a four or five year plan from that point on. And I think when people see the headlines about the money, know how easy it is to once get on the air, there's a real entitlement that I'll hear with younger people being like, hey, what, like, how do I get this to break through? So I'd finish this way before I ask Kyle and Steve to jump in here. Back to the point. Is this about, you know, Pac-12 football? Okay, all right. So now I have, now I have an idea. Hey, we all went to different Pac-12 schools. It's about Pac-12 football. We're going to go to like four games and rank. Okay, so now we've got some built-in segment ideas. Okay, now I kind of, and I know this is bullshit, but like, man, when I was getting started at ESPN, I had this one executive, yeah, it was Horowitz, and he would sit down the first time I met with him and he was like, what is Ryan Rosillo? What is, what is a Ryan Rosillo? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're like the same age. He's like, I just don't know what. He was like, well, I don't know like what a Ryan Rosillo is. I'm like, I'm good at my fucking job. And I'm like, that's it. What, why do I need to be something? And it was like, well, Colin's like this and Beatles like this. And this is this. As much as I hated that, I got his point, even though I personally thought it was fucking stupid. But <laughs> what is your podcast? Because if you're just going to say, hey, I'm like, I'm just good at this. Most people are going to go, what? And that was my problem. I'm like, how do you not just get that I'm good at it? got to figure out some sort of lane to live in because then, all right, the my, my Pac-12 example, maybe you link up with the school. Maybe you talk to the SID and say, hey, we've been doing this for a year plus. And that's the other thing is like, congrats on your six-month mark. 
for whoever's listening to this part of the podcast. Hey, we've been doing it six months. Do it three more years and then start thinking about it. Seriously. It doesn't happen as fast as you want it to. Nothing I've accomplished has ever happened as fast as I want it to. Some shit is taking forever. All right? The rest of the world is not on your schedule. So, summarize. You're starting a podcast and nobody knows who you are. Figure out what the thing is. Figure why is why is there a chance? If I hear a one-sentence synopsis of what you're doing, what would it be that what you're doing actually gets me to think, oh, okay, all right, that's interesting. It's almost impossible to do it on your own. If you do come up with a thing, back to my Pac-12 example, call the schools, call the SIDs, say, hey, we're doing this. But don't call them after three episodes. Call them after doing a year. Maybe ask if you can do a live broadcast. Ask if you can get credential just to be around. It doesn't mean you have to start asking awesome questions, but maybe that SID gets you a better guest. And then you get that athlete from, say, Utah. He comes on, right? And now the Utah blogs are talking about Utah football, and they're linking to your podcast because the quarterback went on your podcast because you started some kind of relationship with somebody. All right? You have to be thinking about stuff that way all the time, especially when you're starting your own. I was relentless. I called every team. I called everybody. I used to book the the radio show. I mean, it was it was obsessive. But that's the other thing. Do you really want to do this? Or do you want all the cool shit that comes with supposedly doing it? Because you're going to learn, especially if it's five guys, there's going to be a couple guys that are like, eh, I kind of can't do this all the time. And a lot of dudes out there are doing the hobby podcast, wondering why it's not taking off when they have other real world, real life stuff going on that makes it really hard to do the other thing. And for me, I just didn't give a shit about anything else and only did the radio thing. Not saying you have to do it that way, but that's also another very difficult dance that you're going to have to play. All right, so I made that one really long on purpose, but I also love, like I said, the positive part of this is that this is even possible, okay? This whole concept, impossible. When I like. You didn't even think this way. I love that people are thinking this way, but I think everybody needs to be a little bit more realistic. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the the hobby podcast thing is like the thing about it is sometimes it does work, right? And sometimes you hear the story. It's like, yeah, I don't know. We were just deciding we actually had to like get a studio and like, you know, we actually had to get our shit together because it was taking off. Like that does happen. And there's so there's like probably what, a hundred million podcasts now or or more than that, right? Wasn't it like 900 I don't million? Know. I think there's like, I think I heard like 900 million last year just in the world. So, I mean, that's still, but, um, so there, China, I including China. I think we're including China there. Um, <laughs> I think so just because of that sheer number, it works out enough. So yeah, like that's a, that's a fun dream to have. I'd say like, I listen in my free time, I listen to like, you know, comedian podcasts or news and stuff like that. Just like where people are kind of kicking around, having a good time. And it seems like if you're not a part of uh, these networks that acquire these little niche podcasts and stuff, and if you're not in that, I think what you have to do is you end up having to go on other people's podcasts or having other people on yours. And I think what's hard about yours specifically is that there's five of you. And I think to add one more person into that would be insane but i think when you're on that like lower level you have to basically get other people that have a podcast with 5000 twitter followers and hope that you can steal just a couple listeners that I know what like, you're saying. I like what you're doing here right. so i just think it's going to be hard to do that when you're on that grassroots level when you got five people already talking and you want to add one or two more so i'd maybe try to find a way to have people rotate in and out of that if you could you know if you're going to try to go that route of growing it organically yeah i would agree five is too many um you also, you, Brian, you kind of alluded to this. You just have to, it can't be, you have to just like like doing it first. 
you have it has to be a hobby. It has to be. That's the first thing it has to be. And and if you don't like doing it, then you probably shouldn't do it long term. You're probably not going to wait it out until it ever becomes successful. So you just have to like doing it, even if it isn't successful. Even if it takes year, if you're you're doing a hundred episodes before any you get like you know I don't know a thousand listens or whatever it is. Um, but you just have to keep doing it because you said that's how you get better. Um, but here's the thing: there are there are there there are famous people. And Ron, you alluded to this too, who have audiences who um, have even been on the air before who are like, yeah, I'll start a podcast and they bomb because it's just hard. Like you need an idea. You need something that sets you apart from everybody else. Like I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. And like, I know you were, you know, we were trying not to be too harsh, but the whole like, yeah, we're five guys. We think we have good chemistry. Like I'm, the amount of times that me and my friends were like, oh yeah, we should just like put a microphone in front of us while we're sitting around watching games. Like people would watch this. Like every friend group says that about their friend group. So it's usually not true. Like, and, and, and here's the thing too, is like dudes just sitting around chatting also isn't that entertaining because there's a lot of inside jokes and bullshit. Like you have to become a broadcaster. Like Ryan, you do segments and you know when you're going too long and you know when you're not making the right point that you want to make. Not everybody has those instincts. Not everybody knows that. And the only reason you get good at it is by doing it and listening to other people. So uh, I would just say you got to keep doing it and do not, uh, it's got to be a hobby. It really has to be a hobby until it isn't. And Kyle, to your point, I think early on, in podcasting, like it was okay to come out of nowhere and just start something and be on your own and like get discovered and like get it, you build an audience and it's fine. I don't know if it's true anymore. I just don't. I think you, I think you kind of have to be a part of a thing. Um, you have to get you have to help with promotion. You know, not saying it's like the ringer or someplace, but there are places that that scoop up pods. But those pods have also been around for probably years and have done hundreds of episodes, and they're trying to do the grind too. So they're already ahead of you. So, I mean, at the end of the day. You have to love it. And if you don't love it, it's never going to work out. And then work your ass off and see where you get. But, you know, like for, for me specifically, when I did the pod with Scal, um, I mean, that was a live and a pod thing. So it was, it was a little confusing. And it, there are a million reasons it didn't work out. But like, you know, I, I kept thinking every day, like, okay, there are a million NBA pods. Like, what is setting us apart? So I would try different things, try doing different stuff. And even that didn't end up working out. And there's a million reasons why it didn't. But it's just fucking hard, man. It's really fucking hard. And you have to put the work in. And, you know, hopefully somebody discovers you. Hopefully you can build an audience. Hopefully, hopefully you can, you know, find somebody who is of in power who kind of says, "Hey, I, I think this is good. I like this." And then they start giving you help and giving you pointers, and then maybe can go on your pod and you can do some cross pollination there. But first and foremost, it has to be a hobby, and you have to love it. Yeah, look, I I don't want to be discouraging, and maybe this was discouraging, but. I just don't like people that are delusional. And I'm not even speaking specifically to the emailer. The podcasting thing is so unimpressive, right? It speaks to sports broadcasting in general, why no one's ever taking our side and more and more people don't like the media, uh, which I totally get, I, you know, whatever. Because what we do on the surface doesn't really seem that impressive. You're like, oh, wait, you just watch games and then you talk about it. And sometimes I don't even think it's that impressive, to be honest with you. You know, I'm not super impressed with anything I've accomplished. And I've talked to people about this. But there is a level of, skill that because podcasting is so like you can reach it and touch it and you're like that's all you have to do you know like when i was trying to write when i first was getting into that you know i'd read different stuff about it and there was this one writer i think it was david mamet was like who would ever just pick up a guitar without any lessons and that's what somebody trying to write who's never written before would, would try to do but like writing feels like well wait i can just write i can but if i don't write for a while and then i'll try to go back to it and and mess with things I'll look at sentences the next day going, what the hell was that? Like, that was awful. And granted, screenwriting is different than just straight up writing, writing. But you'll go, oh, you know, and you're, you're almost out of practice. Like, I wish I were better at it. I wish there were times where I felt like I would have a few lines where I'm like, that's so amazing. That was great. But 
it's something that anybody can just sit down and do and open up their laptop and feel like, hey, I'm writing, where it's a little different than just saying you expect to pick up a guitar and start playing a song. Like nobody would think that. So not saying like standing behind a microphone and recapping last night's game is the same as picking up a guitar with never taking any lessons. But there is some similarity to, well, I can just do this the same way someone who would want to write for the first time could be like, well, I could just figure this out. And you're like, chances are you're not going to just figure it out. Um, so there you go. Look, man, uh, it's awesome that you can do this because like I said, it didn't exist. It didn't exist when I started, but because it exists, I think there are a lot of, and I just talked to so many people about it. That'll just go like, well, Hey, I should do that. And I'm not talking about somebody that's never been on the air. People that are on the air. And then after a couple, like that used to be the joke on the radio show, guys would fill in on the radio show. And then it'd be day three and they would be like, holy shit, I can't believe you do this every single day. Podcasting is way easier than that was. And this still has its moments where you go, all right, like, what do you have to say today? What do you have to say? And I'm not a great example because I had all the years at ESPN already built into this stuff. But to just buy the mics, buy the software and say, let's go. And you got to put the hours into it. You really have to put it in and then figure out who you are, figure out your identity before you even think about getting paid. And I think the headlines get people thinking that like there's just these companies out there be like, we love to pay for podcasts. We don't care if anybody's listening to them. And that's not really how it works. Yeah, I think the two things that I would say positive to end on is A, the nice thing is this podcast you're doing doesn't have to keep the lights on, the stakes are low. And two, you're so early on into it that all the learning you're doing could be what you make it. You still have so much to like, to learn and, and observe that you can get as much out of these early ones as you can because there's still so much. You should just, just have notebooks do of shit. Yeah, right. Exactly, Kyle. Just come up with ideas, different segments. L look at segments on a TV show that you think are good. Think of something that's terrible. You know, you've got to hope that, that one of those guys out of that group has some creative part to him that's like, all right, are we just talking for 40 minutes or are we trying some different things? I mean, shit, go out on the street. Do fake interviews with people in front of a game. You know, like are the Orioles in town and you don't like the Orioles? All right, interview Orioles fans that you see and ask them questions. You know what I mean? Like, again, none of this is brand new. Most stuff is some way of tweaking something else that's already exists. And then you have people that just straight up rip off shit from everybody else. But figure out what you are uh, before you start thinking about money and get better at it. Because, you you know, you keep doing it consistently enough. It's, it's amazing. Once you keep doing something long enough, you actually do get better. Thanks to Steve and Kyle, as always, Ryan Rosilla Podcast, Ringer, Spotify, Sundays with Bill. We could have an all-timer on that one, but you know what? Even if we don't, it'll still be pretty good. Uh, so please subscribe, and we'll talk to you on this podcast next Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.